Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. This is Adam Leventhal here for this special extra edition. We are focusing on our build-up to the Athletic Player of the Year Awards Night, which is taking place this Sunday, the 26th of April. The significance of that date is the same day that the PFA Awards would normally have taken place. Now, our team of writers and our podcast hosts as well have voted across a number of categories. And from seven o'clock on Sunday, we are going to be announcing the winners. But before then, every day this week, we are announcing the shortlist for each category right here on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. Yesterday, uh, the six players in contention for the Young Player of the Year award were revealed. And today, we're going to do the same for the underrated player of the year category and we have a team of experts to discuss the candidates in a moment's time Uh, tomorrow we'll take a look at the various runners and riders for the team of the year and then on friday mark chapman will be back to announce the big ones the shortlist for the men and women's player of the year and then to find out the winners on sunday night and get involved with our live event Uh, it's going to be across all platforms we'll have some video audio written discussions analysis you name it we'll have it we'll try to at the very least Uh, i'm going to be hosting announcing the winners for you what you need to do to fully be involved is uh, make sure that you subscribe and download the athletic app go to theathletic.com forward slash ornstein and chapman to take advantage of our 90 day free trial now Before we run you through the shortlist for the underrated player of the year, let's bring in our guests, our senior writer, Dom Fifield, our Southampton reporter, and lest we forget the host of the Manchester United Talk of the Devils podcast, Mr. Carl Anker, and our Leicester City reporter and host of the 5000 to 1 podcast, Rob Tanner. Gentlemen, welcome along. It is great to have you with us. Thank you. Hey, hey, hey. Now, I just wanted to um, clarify that this is a separate category, this underrated player of the year. We haven't just simply gone to the next six after the shortlist for the player of the year award and chosen them. Uh, You will find out that list, of course, on Friday. But I wanted to talk about this word, underrated. What does it mean to our panel? Let's start with with Carl. Underrated? What would you make of that? Oh, I hate the word underrated. Underrated means you're not paying attention. It's just underrated. Just simply means, just you, oh, underrated and overrated are some of the most misused sporting terms. Just look with eyes. You, you properly blurted out then. When was the last time you spoke to someone, Carl? Uh, this morning on Talk of the Devils. <laughs> no, I think I think, I think underrated, underrated is, is such, underrated and overrated are such misnomer terms because what you're doing is essentially trying to prove you're smarter than everyone else when what you should be doing is just saying hey everyone could you pay attention to this thing over here overlooked is always a better term in my opinion so we should have called it the overlooked player of the year um but we didn't um dom rob could you add any uh insight into sort of what an underrated or uh, overlooked player is well, I've always uh, talked about Mark Brighton at Leicester City as being uh, one of those players that just operates under the radar, and uh, but that doesn't lessen his contribution uh, over the years. He's um, certainly to the uh, the title win in 2016. He wasn't spoken about in the same terms as Riyad Mahrez and Jamie Vardy and some of the other guys that grabbed the headlines. But he went about his uh, job, and uh, if he hadn't have done his job so effectively, 
um, then you know they, they might not have won the title that season. He was uh, such an important player for him. It's that sort of guy that doesn't quite get the recognition that's just very low-key. Yeah, quietly integral to everything that their teams do. Maybe maybe the type of player that isn't noticed so much by fans of opposing clubs for some of the reasons that Carl has made clear. Uh, maybe they're not using your eyes, but, but players that <laughs> maybe have taken for granted to a certain extent. And uh, yeah, they're quietly flourishing under the radar. Okay, right. So we've teed it up. We might not all be fans of the word underrated, but this is the underrated player of the year shortlist for 2019-20. No particular order. Starting with Harvey Barnes of Leicester City. That's number one. Number two, Raul Jimenez of Wolves. Number three, Danny Ings of Southampton. Number four... Fred of Manchester United. Number five, Wilfred Ndidi from Leicester City. And number six, Ricardo Pereira, also of Leicester City. So the standout thing there from that shortlist, we have three Leicester City players. And I wanted to assess um, the reasons why one man thinks that they are there because he does know a lot about them. And that is uh, Rob. Um, let's start with with Harvey Barnes. I mean, I can give the sort of the top line figures, but you can give the, the devil in the detail. 27 Premier League appearances, six goals, six assists from midfield. This has been his his breakthrough year, really, hasn't it? It has, and he, he was challenged by Brendan Rodgers uh, early in the season when he was just breaking into the first team uh, to get his numbers up in terms of goals and assists and uh, to ease that burden that's been placed on Jamie Vardy's shoulders. And uh, I think there was also that little bit of a push as well from the fact that Brendan made it quite clear that he was looking to bring in a wide player as well in the summer. And he brought in Jose Perez, who was supposed to be uh, the guy that was going to be easing that burden on Vardy. But it's been young Harvey that stepped up to the plate. He's... Um, He's a very measured character. He's very, uh, he's quite a, a charming lad to speak to. But on the pitch, he can be quite aggressive as well, and uh, he challenges his coaches as well and asks them why he's being asked to do things and why they make decisions about when he plays, when he doesn't play. So, you know, he's a very driven lad, and uh, I think that a lot of that's come from his upbringing. His his father, Paul Barnes, was a a striker with a numerous uh, amount of clubs, and, um, and he's a very good striker as well. And uh, I think he's uh, he's been very influential. And Harvey's. Very very strong character indeed. While I'm loath to bring this game up yet again, Harvey Barnes absolutely tore Southampton to pieces in a certain fixture in October. Uh, <laughs> Most of that Leicester team tore Southampton <laughs> yeah. to pieces. You take your it's very there, true. Uh, I think that that was my first big. I think that was a big moment for a, a lot of fans. Were like, oh, who's this guy? And he was absolutely rampant down the left hand side. He's probably one of those players with um, claims to be unhappy with the suspension in football because he probably had a good chance of getting England cap. Well, I think the European Championships, if they'd have gone ahead, might have been a little bit of a step too far for him. But certainly, yeah, England is on the horizon for him. I love his combination play with with Ben Chilwell going down. When Ben Chilwell bums down the wing, Barnes just tucks inside almost naturally. They, they, they understand each other's games so well and they link up so well with James Madison as well in the centre. I mean, when Leicester were thrilling everybody in the division in that run that was really sparked by the 9-0 um, they, they were all the interchanges between those players the fluid motion of that team was just it just took the breath away and it, they were playing the best football in the country at that time better than Liverpool in terms of attacking football the most entertaining football it definitely was coming from Leicester City and and Barnes made himself integral to that and that shows that, that the progress he's made and 
I think West Bromwich Albion should take some some credit as well because he he, he made huge strides uh, at the Hawthorns in that loan spell last season to the, such an extent that I think Rob did Leicester recall him when West Brom would have gladly kept him yes. for that campaign. They did, and it's a perfect example of how the loan system works for a young player because every single move he's had, he's been to the MK Doms, he's been to Barnsley. Every single one has been another little step up for him, another challenge for him, and uh, it's been fantastic to to see his progression because when he came back from the Barnsley loan, um, you could see he was a different player. If you watched the under-23s, he stood out. And then when he went to West Bromwich Albion, he stepped up again and started adding goals to his game as well. Um, then you really thought, hang on, there's a player here, and that's why they record him. I don't think Claude Puel, who made that decision initially, was going to record him, but he was just crying out to come back and, and play at Premier League level. I mean, he, it's surprising, really, that he made his um, first-team debut in the Champions League in a 5-0 hammering at Porto uh, as a teenager. Um, since then, he's just been making this steady progression uh, with the, the numerous loans he's had now, and uh, and he's now an established first-team regular. What more does he need to do, do you think, to be fully recognised? Well, it has to be get on the, the, the goal-scoring sheets um, on a regular basis. If he can contribute double figures in a season and get a few assists, then I think um, he will get international recognition. I, I mentioned Michael Brighton at the, at the top of that, and he's a title winner with Leicester City, and uh, he never got recognition at international level simply because his numbers weren't high enough, and he accepts that himself. He acknowledges that himself. Harvey won't let that happen, I think. Harvey will be single-minded enough. But one area that he has developed, and Dom touched on this with his understanding about Ben Chilwell, is defensively knowing when to get back it get into cover to play with his fullback in the defensive manner as well as an offensive manner and uh, it really has been an area of his game that has come on and, and it takes a while for, for young players to develop that uh, understanding of their role within the team and not just play with the freedom that they've played with all their lives and uh, I think he's, he's really started to twig on that one now as well so he, he is starting to cover for Ben in uh, very much a, a similar way to how Mark used to do. Okay let's move on to our second shortlisted underrated player of the year and it is uh, I suppose a, a player that allows players like Harvey Barnes the freedom to bomb forward and we're talking about of course Wilfred Ndidi who sits uh, there for uh, Leicester City in a defensive midfield role how impressive has he been uh, this season in particular Rob? Well the fact that Wilf's on this list is a bit of a surprise for me really and the fact that three Leicester City players are on there I think a lot of it's to do with the, the, the status of the club and how they're perceived um, Leicester City are obviously challenging at the top but they're not seen as a as a big club and therefore that's why some of their players can be underrated because rest assured Wilfred and did he's not underrated at, uh, or even ignored at Leicester City he doesn't operate under the radar he is integral to how they play now he missed six games through injury recently they didn't win one um, he is that important to them now he's the anchor in midfield he sits in front of the back four screens the back four superbly Johnny Evans and Charles Sunsu if you ask them talk to them about how important Wilf has become to to Leicester City in that sense he's uh, he's been outstanding and uh, I think he's uh, been one of Leicester City's star performers this season and I think I mean I remember I got pilloried by uh, a few fans a few years ago because uh, I wrote about um, Wilf and I said that in future years if he continues his development he could be as important to Leicester City as Patrick Vieira was to Arsenal and people scoffed but I think we're starting to see that now He's absolutely remarkable and he's integral to how Leicester City play because I think one thing Brendan Rodgers has been really smart in doing is he's 
well, indeed he basically allows him to flood Leicester's attack with three number 10s. You know, Madison does it, Harvey Barnes sort of slips in a 10 every now and again and play all these attackers because indeed he is like a swarm defensive midfield player. He just covers that entire middle area. He's a genuine... I'm not going to use the word world class because I don't like the word world class either. But he's a genuine uh, generational talent at what he does. I'm surprised he is in this category, to be honest, because I can't think of many better defensive midfielders in the Premier League. Off the top of my head, not, I mean, I think he would get into any team in that in that division, really. Oh, yeah, he improves every single Premier League team. Well, he's compared unfairly, I think, to N'Golo Kante simply because of his, his pathway and his, his career and the impact that N'Golo Kante had. But in terms of the level that he's going to be playing at in the future, I think he's right up there. I think he really has, has got so much scope to improve and become even better. I mean, if he gets the, the shackles off in, in a future role and he plays box-to-box, he's such an athlete. He could play that way as well. And you'd see a bit more of that Patrick Vieira about him as well. He's not quite the firefight defensive midfielder, but he, he just has a pre-natural ability to be like, oh, I, if I just move five yards here, I don't have to run 35 yards back. Absolutely integral to Leicester City play. And um, I won't reveal what football club I support, but if they could uh, put a large sum of money in Leicester City's way, <laughs> I'd be very happy. You'd have to be a large sum of money as well because they won't uh, give him up for cheap, that's for sure. He's, uh, and the remarkable thing about him is he's, he's learnt this role through just playing it with Leicester City originally, he was a centre half playing in Belgium. He even played. I think he made his debut as a fullback. Um, so he's really developed in this uh, in this role, this anchor role. And uh, now you're seeing really uh, blossom under Brendan. And you've got to give Brendan a lot of credit for that as well because he had a little spell under Claude where he started to lose his way. And you thought, well, is this lad really going to fulfil his potential? But I think Brendan's uh, really getting the best out of him now. Okay, so that's Wilfred and Didi. Our second Leicester player on the list. Our third is Ricardo Pereira. And I think out of all of these three players for Leicester City, and we've spoken about this before, Rob, when we were doing our our Transfer Daily podcasts, he's one player that seems to have attracted the attention of of bigger clubs. So it's, it's maybe a little bit marginal that he's underrated. A lot of people know about his qualities, don't they? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can remember when he first came to, to Leicester City and uh, you know, we were told he was a winger that had been converted to a fullback and he certainly looked that at Bournemouth, I, I remember in particular, under Claude. But um, since then, he's just flourished. He's the club's player of the year, so he's obviously recognised at Leicester City. He had a fantastic second half to the season uh, last season and he's carried that on again this season. His pace, he loves to attack. He's got a few goals in him as well. Uh, I remember the goal against Villa when he popped up inside the six-yard box. Not many right backs will do that in a game, and uh, you know he's um, he's he's really become uh, another a very key player to them. And the fact that James Justin, when he does get his chance, is having to play left back when he's a natural right back, would suggest that he's got a long way to play at right back, and his future might be at left back if he's going to be uh, a regular at Leicester City. But uh, you know, Ricardo is um, you know he's he's really top quality player. Okay, right. So we've uh, we've dealt with the three Leicester City players. Um, obviously, we know that the the football season is on hold for now. But uh, today's guest, myself, our team of four hundred of the best sports writers in the business, still hard at work as well. You know, telling unique, engaging, uh, and informative stories using. Crazy words like preternatural, Carl. That's uh, that's the right word that you used a little bit earlier on, isn't it? Is that right? Preternatural. Oh, just talk. Yeah, is that so right? it is. Yeah, like, and it means what? <laughs> uh, beyond Extraordinary normal or something. Beyond normal. Well, there you go. We are beyond 
normal, perhaps, keeping you in touch with uh, what's going on, but also allowing you to escape once in a while, which is which is a great thing to do at these uh, in these difficult times. Um, the Athletic, obviously, keeping you connected to your team and the sport that you love. Uh, you can sign up now for a 90-day free trial uh, to see for yourself. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman for a 90-day free trial. Right, so we've dealt with three contenders for the underrated player of the year. Next player on the list is Danny Ings. Carl Anker, take to the stage, please. He is a glass cannon unicorn of a striker who uh, (laughs) has been described by my co-worker Jack Lang as possessing a shark's taste for savagery where one drop of blood in the water is enough to alert him. I am currently writing a piece on why Southampton's player of the year, and I'm using a very wordy introduction using a joke from The Simpsons, where essentially, through I cannot truly ex- adequately explain my love for that man, because what Danny Ings was doing in the 2019-20 season more or less defy statistical convention. So uh, I'm a big fan of XG and trying to figure out if strikers are good or lucky or a combination of the two. And all of the trending charts of what Dannings was doing was basically, what? You, you can't quite do that. Um, to put into perspective, he was um, finishing around about, there was a point in time where the only people outscoring him or putting away chances at a better chance than him were Jamie Vardy and Oba from uh, Arsenal but you have to bear in mind both of those players have far greater creative um, help uh, Danny Ings' running totals were also far higher than both of those Danny Ings basically runs yeah, around about 10 kilometers a game put him closer to a central midfielder um, and he was running the channels as well so he was running around like a central midfielder running the channels like a winger and finishing like one of the best number nines in Europe it wasn't a scoring explosion. It was a goddamn inferno. And there were three or four times when I was watching that man play where he just burnt my eyebrows off through what he was doing. <laughs> 15 goals and uh, and an assist as well. I suppose in in those two very sort of simple, straightforward figures, not as complicated as, as XG and things like that, he has gone back to his roots. He is doing what he was doing uh, at Burnley and he's a poacher he scores goals he's he's getting on the end of things rather than worrying about um bringing other players into the action is is that fair or not um kind of so he is getting sort of the the legwork assist sort of if he hunts down uh, a player uh, or like drops deep and nicks the ball off them and that you know will begin the sentence that eventually he'll write the full stop on and be like, and there's a goal. Uh, two of his goals this season have come from him just simply hunting down a goalkeeper like a heat-seeking missile. So first happened with Adrian, where Adrian played the ball off his shins, and then he caught uh, Hugo Lloris um, messing around with a Cruyff turn. And I, I really enjoy when a striker is basically scoring scruffy goals because that shows that uh, a scoring run is a bit sustainable. Basically, he's doing the hard work and creating chances for himself. And I think that is that is why. It's not just luck, but also, like I said, scoring Inferno. It's all scorched earth and shaved eyebrows and whatnot. And you're just going, blimey, how's he doing that? (laughs) Dom, I I wanted to bring you in on this because obviously um, with Harry Kane having been injured and looking likely that he was going to miss the Euros when they were uh, going to be this summer, Danny Ings was sort of promoted up up the list and perhaps he might have been given a chance. Uh, Do you think that you know, he's someone that may well just simply lose out on that opportunity because of the the current climate that we're in, and we're not playing 
we're not playing football. Well, not if he does what he's done this season again next season. Um, he he's twenty seven. He's got international experience under his belt already, albeit he's he's sort of been frustrated that he hasn't had more chances. Um, and we all know the <laughs> the fragility of Harry Kane's ankles. Uh, I mean, you'd, you'd certainly put. You, I mean, Marcus Rashford would have been the would would have been you know Kane's deputy with England if they were if they were playing a a front three or a or, or a lone forward, however you want to do the formation. But, but you'd say that Danny Ings had had leapfrogged Callum Wilson, for example, who who was in the England set up this this season and and was very much part of the part of the squad. But but Ings Ings is. Form fifteen goals in seventeen games at one point in all competitions in between September and January that 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 justify that would have justified his selection for the for the games in March and then he's in contention then potentially for what would have been the European Champions Championships in the in the summer I just think it's a I just think it's a brilliant story I mean he he deserved this the the knee injuries wrecked him of of the sort of prime years of his career potentially it wrecked him of making any impact. At the club that he was desperate to, Liverpool, you know, he, he got that move, that the dream move, and he never really had a chance to show what he could do there. So, I think he's been very well managed um, this season in particular. Um, last season was a, it was almost like he was finding his rhythm again after so long out in in rehabilitation. Uh, I think it was seven goals in twenty odd games, but I think Hassan Hootel has, has has dealt with him very very shrewdly this year. I remember there was a game. That, they played Chelsea away on Boxing Day, and and he'd just come off a, a couple of goals against Aston Villa, and he, everybody just assumed that he was going to be in the side, and all these fantasy football people were putting him in, in hoping he was he was going to continue this remarkable scoring sequence. Hasten Hootel had him on the bench, rested him, gave him a bit of a breather, knows that this is a player that isn't used to maybe playing thirty odd thirty five games a season anymore after the after the injury problems, gave him the breather. What does he do? Scores three in his next three games. I mean that 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 is that's clever management as well as an excellent striker whose whose form is sky high, and I just think it's brilliant. It's brilliant to see him back again. Brilliant to see him scoring again, and he still he will still have international ambitions. He will still back himself to 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 do well for Southampton next season and to to earn a place at uh, what will be Euro twenty twenty one. And Carl, just just give us a little insight into what he's like to deal with, and and how he's feeling now that he's sort of back in his in his homeland and 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 firing. Oh, I think one of the big moments was the two goals he scored against Portsmouth in the South Coast derby. So, you know, one of the more heated derbies in English football in the Carabao Cup they faced each other and he scored two goals and he was basically you know the the chant was invented Danny Ings is the king of the scummers and he's he truly <laughs> loves uh well he, he truly seemed overwhelmed by the chance and, and how and how he's been sort of received by the Southampton fan base and they truly do love him it's sort of you almost forget that he was a, a permanent signing after the loan deal this year and he's, he's taken it in full stead he's what Southampton of 34 points at the moment um, and Danny Ings I'm just doing uh, back of the notepad mathematics now 6, 9, 12 basically he's he's earned, he's earned a lot of those points for Southampton is, is the scientific term <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, one that I also want to bring up is um, of his uh, 15 Premier League goals six of them has been scored with his weaker foot compared to none of the goals he scored last season was scored from weaker foot. So it's not just a reinvention or, or getting back in terms of your roots. It's been a reinvention of him, his basically entire physiology 
after his knee injury, he dramatically changed his sprinting style. Uh, so I covered this earlier in the season, but he's got a very interesting bow-legged style, which allows him to run from uh, 6 to 12 very, very quickly. And that's why he can score, you know, that's why he's managed to hunt down goalkeepers like this. Such as Dan Ings' playing style now, that whenever the goalkeeper tries to play it short, Southampton fans will start going, oh, because he has built a mystique and a reputation about him. And I think that's one of the greatest things a striking can have. Fantastic. Carl, thank you very much. Right, so we've uh, we've dealt with Danny Ings, one of our shortlisted players for the underrated player of the year. Let's deal with uh, the other striker that is on the list, and that is Raul Jimenez, uh, the, uh, the Mexican from Wolverhampton Wanderers, who has once again had a fantastic season, uh, 22 goals in all competitions, 13 in the Premier League, uh, six assists. And Dom, I wanted to, to maybe come to you on, on this one. It's just a sort of reminder how high-end Wolves' recruitment strategy has been that they have got Raul Jimenez when I would have thought so many other clubs, they might have had him on the radar, but they just didn't have the links to get him when Wolves got him. Look, this is a fellow who had a, when he first came over to Europe, played for Atletico Madrid and and didn't really make the grade there. Um, so he was shipped off to, to the Portuguese league and he and he found his feet. But he, he wasn't, I wouldn't say he was necessarily as prolific there as he's proved in England and and the way that he is he's taken to English football in the last year and a half or whatever we are now almost two seasons um has really it would have it would have pleasantly surprised Wolves I'm sure as well because players tend to need a an adaptation time when they come to England he, he didn't seem to need that he scored 13 Premier League goals in, in in a newly promoted team albeit a very very good newly promoted team last season so when that happens, you often think that the second season is going to be trickier, that people are going to find you out and you won't quite be as prolific again. But this season, 13 in 29 games to date and and 22 in all competitions. He's really, he's used that sort of the spate of games that, that Wolves have had this season to to find a rhythm. And when you get people like Ilkay Gundogan coming out and saying this guy is world-class and he'd fit in well at Manchester City... In a bygone era, you'd think that's him putting the feelers out and and for, for on behalf of his club to try and you know court the player. Um, the, you know he's a player that, as Gundogan says, would grace every single top six team. Well, he is at the moment because because he's integral to a Wolves team who are going places and and they're in the top six and they've got their aspirations of reaching the Champions League and and he can take them there because he is a phenomenal striker, pace, power, mobility, clever movement. He's got everything. Rob, I mean, from, from, from your experience, having seen him play against Leicester City this season, how did Leicester defensive line deal with him? He's a handful because of his size. He's tailor-made for English football. I think that's the secret why he's come over here. But the way the, the game in this country has advanced with the technical side of it as well. But we still love a bit of the physicality of it. And he seems to embrace that as well. You know, he, he backs into them, he holds them off, he's strong. They don't come up against strikers like him very often anymore. Um, the game's changing. You know, we, we go for false number nine. He is a proper old school number nine for me. And uh, I, I agree with Dom in terms of you, when you look at these players and you ask the question, would they fit in at Man City? Would they fit in at Liverpool? Would they get into the side at Man United? And yes, they are. They would. And he certainly would be uh, give uh, any of those uh, top six sides or the big six sides um, another option. 
Yeah, well, I do. I cover a lot of Chelsea in, in, my, in my time, and he is the type of player that they are yearning for at the moment. He would he would be the the closest they've had to Didier Drogba since Drogba was in his peak. Um, sort of Diego Costa style as well, you could say. But he's just got everything. He he brings players into play. He he links up so well. He's yeah. He's he's a he's a twenty five goal striker in the Premier League, and they they are worth their weight in gold. Yeah, and, I'm and he's sure. in gold at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the old gold, exactly. What a, what a lovely link. Um, he's not underrated then. Is that is that fair? Or is it the case that perhaps he still has something left to prove and that he's maybe moving away from Wolves? Yeah, I, I just think we're, we're talking about a lot of these lads. I mean, we're going to move on in a minute, aren't we, to um, a Man United player. So probably defeat what I'm about to say is because of the clubs they play for that they're, they're probably considered underrated. And Wolves and Leicester are probably in the same bracket in terms of where they've come from and the journey that they've been on. Um, and it's only really when they get to that next level, uh, whether that be European football or uh, you know the Champions League, Europa League, well, and of course he's played Europa League for Wolves now. It's only when they get to that level that I reckon they'll be talked about as you know for f- having fulfilled their potential. I've got a funny feeling that the underrated player of the year award is going to be renamed next year i've just got a just got a just a little just a little inkling that yeah none of these players will be underrated at their clubs by their fan base (laughs) they'll they'll be loved exactly but i guess then perhaps it is still a a pertinent term because we all know the strengths of uh, the players that play for our chosen clubs but still there is some um Football fans from you know a broader church that don't necessarily know the ins and outs. So maybe we are doing a service rather than uh, doing a disservice by using the word. I'm trying to defend it. I'm trying to defend the, the, the word. <laughs> so let's get to the last player on the list. Our last underrated player is Fred. Now, as we said at the beginning, we have uh, a dual role for one of our reporters who is is joining us and that is that is Carl uh, talk of the devil's podcast i have to give you first dibs on trying to explain why fred is on this list um fred's on this list because he's a really good example of uh two things in premier league football right now one mission creep uh, and the idea of by the time you can get you know, comfortable in your surroundings, what your club needs can massively change in the Premier League. Uh, and two, the idea that basically being a new signing central midfield in the Premier League right now is incredibly hard to do. So obviously signed last season, in, you know, Mourinho's third season ooh, uh, for the princely sum of 52 million after being linked to Manchester City for a bit. There were, you know, really large expectations of Fred to be the man who could finally unlock Paul Pogba or perhaps replace Paul Pogba. And he just didn't, seem capable of making a pass. You look completely bereft of confidence. I think this season um, there was a, a, I think Roy Keane sort of used him as an off-the-cuff joke uh, about Manchester United's midfield. It was like, well, there's this, this, this. And there's Fred, by the way, um, in true Roy Keane style. But what happened was Fred got better. He finally, you know, Manchester United's engine room finally devised a clear role for him. He got a more reliable midfield partner in Scott McTominay. And then he just started making those passes, started making those runs that you need and, and really turned himself into quite the competent box-to-box midfielder. Um, I quite enjoy how there's a section of Manchester United Twitter that calls him Pastor Fred and mocks him up as a uh, Baptist preacher because basically let us pray. He seems to have turned it really around. Is this a, is this a classic example of, well, I suppose two things that you can be 
deeply affected by transitions of of managers but also sometimes and especially when players are uh, integrating themselves from other countries i know he's from brazil but he was playing for shakhtar donetsk that sometimes it just takes a bit of time and especially at manchester united it's going to take a little bit more time absolutely in in another life where the i was writing for athletic soccer Wink, wink. Uh, I did write a little piece about Fred and how at the start of the eighteen nineteen season, he joined. So Fred joined Manchester United. Jorginho joined Chelsea. Fabinho joined Liverpool. Where by you know Fabinho sort of had Jurgen Klopp uh, as a sort of fantastic manager who puts an arm around the shoulder and basically goes, "Look, Fabinho, playing Premier League football, you're going to need to be able to run this many kilometers and do this. And I'm not going to put you in Premier League football until you can do that." Whereas Fred sort of arrives, doesn't really have any mates, has a manager who is slowly imploding at Manchester United. Paul Pogba's not quite here. What am I supposed to do? And then lo and behold, you, you put a bit of stability around someone and they can do what they're meant to do. If you were to ask um, Manchester United fans now, if and when the, the Premier League returns, who they would rather have in their starting eleven. Pogba or Fred, if they had to choose one or one or the other, who do you think they would pick? I think they'd still pick the one with the World Cup winner's medal. Fred is much improved. And one thing I do find quite interesting about the Manchester United fan base is how they seem to meme things into reality. So they sort of, they they joked how, you know, Scott McTominay was Scott McSauce. And then lo and behold, Laurie Whitwell, Manchester United reporter for The Athletic, is giving Scott McTominay Young Player of the Year. Um, and I think they sort of willed Fred into becoming a half-decent football player as well. Um, there's a devil in the badge, but they're, they're really a, a praying folk. Okay, gents, we've gone through our six uh, nominees. And I wanted to uh, just go through a hypothetical uh, moment for you, just to conclude this podcast. If you were to have the casting vote, uh, and having heard the discussion and all the, the various different reasons, who would you vote for? out of these six, if you were to choose the underrated player of the year? Would it be Barnes and Didi, Pereira, Ings, Jimenez or Fred? Let's start with you, Rob. Well, I think just in terms of his importance to the to the team, I, I would go with Wilf because if you take him out of that Leicester side, as we've seen, they're not the same team. And uh, that's the highest recognition he could probably uh, receive, really. Is uh, that important to Leicester City now? I'm sure his agent will use that next time he wants to uh, negotiate a new contract. <laughs> <laughs> Dom? Well, I'm still quite outraged that my own suggestion didn't get anywhere near the shortlist, to be honest. But there you go. Uh, Vicente Greiter, I was going to go for a free transfer signing. He's, he's the best goalkeeper in the Premier League, according to some of these weird data compilations that people come up with. Um, <laughs> but never mind. Uh, I will, look, I'm will. i between Wilf, Wilfred and Didi and, and, and Danny Ings myself. Uh, and again, largely because of the, the impact they have on their teams. Um, and I think because... Ndidi has been injured for a period this season. Um, I'll go with Danny Ings uh, because the way that, that that team was in the way in the aftermath of the nine nil um, defeat at home to Leicester, um, they didn't look as if they had a prayer in the in the Premier League. And the manner in which they've turned that around in the period since, which owes a lot to Ings's goals, scoring fifteen to twenty goals in a team that is in the lower half or relegation scrap. I think is a phenomenal achievement. And I, I just think it's a wonderful story after his knee problem. So I'll go with Danny Ings. And Carl, surely you're going to concur with with Dom there. Oh, absolutely. It's well, Daniel. Excellent. That's brilliant. Daniel <laughs> William John Ings, the striker who's larger than life, but small enough to touch. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, right. Um, 
there we have it. Uh, you know the uh, the six shortlisted nominees in the underrated player of the year category. Um, tomorrow, as we mentioned, we're going to be running through those vying for a, a place in the team of the year. And then on Friday, Mark Chapman will be back to announce the shortlist for the men's and women's player of the year. And then, as we said, on Sunday, we have our awards night from seven o'clock via the Athletic app. Uh, we're going to be announcing the winners for all of our categories and we'll have plenty for you to enjoy, as we mentioned on social media, video, audio. I don't know what I'm going to be wearing, probably uh, tracksuit bottoms at the bottom and a tuxedo <laughs> at the top. Haven't quite nailed that one down. I've got a, a couple of days to decide. Um, we will uh, obviously keep you posted on all the other news that is going on on The Athletic uh, and make sure that you, you don't miss out on the awards and everything that we offer by subscribing and downloading The Athletic app. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman to take advantage of our 90 day 90 day free trial and don't forget to send your views on on anything that you've heard uh, via our social media platforms uh, and use the hashtag if you can which is tauk awards the athletic uk awards tauk awards my huge thanks to our panel today dom carl and rob uh, i will be back with you tomorrow as we build up to sunday's awards night see you then